Gentlemen, good evening. Well, good evening. Yo, 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 what up, what up? Not much, not much. Greg, where do you find yourself these days? Why can't we see I you? am in Pennsylvania. At, oh, uh, that that explains why we can't see the video mm, feed. Right, I'm, I'm out here, I'm in like, uh, I'm like just northwest of uh, Reading. Mm-hmm. Resilient uh, country. Resilient country, yes. Just doing a lot of uh, resilient things. I've actually been out here on the East Coast for a week. Um, really? Yeah, I got, I got here last Tuesday, and uh, on Thursday we drove down to the Outer Banks. And, uh, wow. Spent, wow. Yeah, for a gig. Um, it, was a, it was called Shredfest, OBX Ooh. Shredfest. Nice. Um, and uh, it, was, it was a really successful fun trip and uh, the, the organizers put us in maybe one of the nicest like houses i've ever like been in <laughs> like it, it was especially for if considering a beach house and you know there's like five of us we need like five bedrooms this had like 12 yeah those houses are the you best. know with an <laughs> elevator uh kill devil hills all right yeah oh nice like between yeah. kitty hawk and mm-hmm. um before duck yeah yeah, so it was uh, it was just rad. I love the Outer Banks, and uh, we just had this incredible house. And we actually brought some, you know, some of our own gear, like just for jam, like house jams, and writing Sweet. sessions. You know, house and jamming then, at the Outer Banks is freaking the best. Yeah, it was it was sick. And then uh, played it, played the show, and they had a full back line for us, and we made some new friends. And then we drove back up on Sunday, uh, and I've been here since then. We leave for Kansas City. On, oh damn! Uh, Thursday to play a gig out what there. What you doing in KC? Um, we're playing with the Symphony for a Memorial Day concert. Wow! Oh wow! Yeah. That'd be cool. That's amazing. Yeah. Do you get a rehearsal so with that with them before that, or is it just? Like- yes, yes, we do. Uh, there's two rehearsals. There's one in a hall and one dress rehearsal on the stage. It's at the uh, Union Station. It's gonna be. Cool. I'll, I'll, I'll send you guys a link. We could maybe post it on the page for the lot there's a there should be a stream like a Hell local yeah. pbs oh, nice. stream um but yeah they're they arranged one of our original songs and we're playing a, a few covers and uh yeah and i'll That's tell you awesome, this dude th- this was a this thanks man yeah it's it's gonna be rad uh, this was supposed to happen may 2020 oh yeah okay and All right, uh, so makeup gig. yeah yeah this is a makeup gig <laughs> Wow. Yeah, so it's been a long journey to get this gig back. Mm-hmm. That's wild. Well, they've and, had plenty uh, of time to practice. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> yeah. Sure, they've been working day um, in and day out. The other, do you want to know the other cool thing, though? And I'll report back next week. But yeah. guess who's playing a mile away from the hotel while we're there on Friday night when we're, like, free? Taylor Swift. No. Meshuggah. No. Uh, 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 Chili peppers. No. Uh, Less Claypool and the Flying Frog Brigade. Oh, never would have gotten there, but Alan that's Holdworth awesome. has been dead for five years. That's right. <laughs> so That would have been quite a show, though. Something, something yes. to talk about. No, Less Claypool and the Flying Frog Brigade. Featuring, on keys, my man Harry Waters. Oh, hey, really? so, right. he's playing with less. So we're all going to go to that show. Oh, that is awesome. That is yeah. super cool. So it should be pretty cool. I'll, uh, I'll report back with all that. Um, but yeah, we've been, needless to say, we've been really busy. 
anyway, that's that. That's been the week and the weekend. Nice. Excellent. Yeah. Mr. Klein, how yeah. are you settling into your new digs, man? Good. We caught our first mouse. <laughs> Ooh. Right. I'll yeah. say this, though. That's some of... Mm. Yeah. yeah. That, oh, even Cam was like, okay, he's got he's to gotta go. Uh, and Cam is not <laughs> one to want animals to get hurt. But, um, <laughs> man, we got these crazy good... These new Oreos, they're s'mores. Like, <laughs> I saw sucker. those in the I saw those in the grocery store the other do day. And it was all I could do to not get them. Do yourself a favor, get them, and all then right. when you put them somewhere, like just seal them well because mice love them. Gotcha. We had some giant. The, we had like giant chocolate chip cookies in in the in the pantry for like two weeks, and one night putting those Oreos out. Bam! Next morning, <laughs> I go to. I was like, oh, boys are gonna love these in the lunches. Go to. I grab it, and there's just a little hole in the top. It's like eight, eight little bites out of like three cookies. I was like, ah, throw them all away. Was that the thing that put Cam over the edge? Like, I got, he's got to go. He's uh, getting the, into well, our Oreos. Then the next day, he went ahead and got into the generic uh, chocolate chip cookies. So then we had no cookies. Yeah. And then, then uh, that, that was a crisis situation. So, yeah, we got through it. So what was, the tec- what was the technique? Uh, mousetraps. Oh, wow, old school mousetraps. Yeah, old schoolish. They're like plasticky and they... they it's supposed to be more humane because it definitely crunches them right right away. But um, yeah, no mercy. Okay. We're not like we're not capture and releasing here. As long as you're not doing the glue traps, man. No, the glue traps—they give me like nightmares, man. That's like that's the most Awful. ridiculously yeah, inhumane yeah. thing I've ever heard of. Yeah, life. no, <laughs> no. This is a nice little glob of peanut butter, and they, yeah, and it, it crunches them. So. You know, nice. Well done. Well done. Did it. So we got it. So that's that's really the most that I have to report at this point. <laughs> How about you, Jay? Well, that's, hey, no news is good news as far as like settling into a new place, right? Sure. Sure. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Definitely. We had a big weekend. Um, okay. Let's see. Uh, yeah. No, it was crazy. We uh, Saturday, Ben had uh, baseball game. Did really uh-huh. well. Okay. Got the game ball. Oh. <laughs> Three hits, not off the tee, nice. which is substantial. Mm-hmm. And then, um, let's see, Sunday, Sunday morning, we had our last soccer game. Okay. That was epic. No goals from the boy, but uh, it, it, it was an experience. Yeah. And then, let's see, uh, something else happened on Sunday. I can't, it feels like a long time. Uh, Hold on a second. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Wait. Oh, boy. Some. Do you guys hear that? I didn't. I didn't know there was a door. Is that backstage? Oh, no, it must be. Hold on a second. I, I'm coming. I'm coming. Hold on. I'm coming. Hold on. I'm gonna pop. Oh. What in the world can you do? What is called No, I, I get it, guys. This is the weirdest FM radio I've what? ever heard. It does sound strange. Low is here. Low is here. Low. Oh. Somebody let Brian Eno in. So, <laughs> there you go. What do you think, David? 
Can you use it on the record? Oh, yes, absolutely, Brian. I might just add a little something, though, so I won't feel so bad when people assume I did it on my own. <laughs> yes, that's right, guys. Low. David Bowie's Low is here. That's what we're, that's what we're doing this week. Oh. That's right. <laughs> yes, that was my 30-second montage of David Bowie's Low, well just done. in case you haven't heard it before. Well done. Wow. <laughs> yeah, Thank I you. love that. That was all the highlights. So did we do it? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty much it. Um, okay. Didn't know if you guys wanted to add anything, but uh, you, you know what? I have put a lot of thought into this album. It's one of my favorite albums of all time. So what do you say we get into it? We're going to talk about this album. Yes. And see where things go. Okay. Let's go. I'm into it. You should check it Yes, that's right. You are tuned in to You Should Check It Out. Staying low and slow since 2018. Happy to be here with you on a beautiful Thursday. This is episode 198, and my name is Jay. I'm Nick. And I'm Greg. And yes, that's right. You are tuned in to like the special three-episode run right before the lead-up to episode yeah, 200. pre-200 trilogy. Exactly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's right. It's like David Bowie's Berlin tri trilogy. Mm-hmm. It's the You Should Check It Out lead up to yeah. 200 trilogy, yeah. where we are going back to our original format of trying to convince each other to like an album that we think that they should like. Right. And, you know, by extension, that you, the audience, should like. Fingers so, crossed. Last week, Greg did an excellent job in convincing us to like the album Thrust by Herbie Hancock. Multi-throng approach to that argument that I found very... Uh, very compelling. It and was quite compelling. A, quite a bar. It was. Ah, you yeah. set a very high bar. Well, thank bar. you. Yeah. Well researched. I, I, you know, I listened. <clears throat> yes. Well, thank you. And uh, I'm glad I made my case. I think you did a fantastic so. job. And I, 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 for one, in addition to listening to this album a lot this week, I went and listened to a lot of Herbie. Oh, cool. I did. Yeah, it was very cool. So. Nice. Excellent. So my pick for this week is this really cool album by David Bowie. Mm -hmm. It's called Low. Okay. And you're going to hear my voice talking about it for the next hour or so. <laughs> but before then, we want to tease the next episode. That's right. Which is Nick's, Mr. Um, Nick's. And we don't up. know which album he's picked. So, Mr. Nick Klein, if you're ready, please. Okay. So, for next week, for those of you that are participating at home, uh, you're going to want to listen to an album by the artist Billy Cobham. Uh, his last name is spelled C-O-B-H-A-M. And the album is called Total Eclipse. Total Eclipse. It's from 1974. Billy Cobb. 1974. Man, yep. another right. 74. It is another 74. And I think we are mid-70s. I think we're going to bookend the series by, with Fusion, and I think that's going to be pretty neat. So, so I'm going uh -huh. to be leaning into... Um, uh, he's, he's a, he is a drummer. He wrote all the songs on the album uh, and arranged them. I'm going to talk about all of the ways that he's influenced drumming since then. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Cool. All right. So, guys, this album, Low, mm -hmm. by David mm -hmm. Bowie. Right. I, I love this album, and, it, and not for the traditional ways that I love an album. It's, it's not an album that reaches out and grabs you immediately. Mm -hmm. I, I could be wrong on that point. We'll get into it, but this album fascinates me. 
Mm-hmm. It came out in 1977. Right. It was an album in the middle of kind of Bowie's height of fame, the like his first height of fame before his dip and then his re-height of fame in the 80s whenever he did Let's Dance and all that stuff. Mm. So this was an album that came out in the middle of the 70s where he was trying to basically eschew all of the pop stardom that he had. He was like, I'm not just a pop star. I'm an art guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm an mm-hmm. artiste. Artiste. Like Kanye. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, there, I, I think there's a little bit of Kanye in this. Yep, absolutely. Okay. It's a fascinating album. I don't know. Uh, before I get into it, you guys had a chance to listen to it. Any opening thoughts? Dick? Uh, well, this is not my first uh, David Bowie Low Rodeo, buddy. Yes, that is true. In full disclosure, this was actually one of the first albums that we did as right. our original unreleased You Should Check It Out series. Mm-hmm. And we had so much fun discussing this album that we actually split it up into two parts. Yeah. Um, this was before Greg was even on the podcast. It so was, yeah. Uh, yep, that's right. Trying to squeeze this into an, al- into an hour will be a, a, a bit of an effort. But, Nick, you've heard it before, but any I further have, I Well... Very interesting, and I don't want to. I don't want to run with this at this moment. But I'll tell you, to be honest, this was. Uh, I don't think there's any really any other way to put it. I was is basically. I, I I did the math on this because um, as soon as I heard this album again, I was like, "Wow, this is taking me back. Whoa, what am I going back to? What's going on right now?" Um, <laughs> I think this was this is the album that when I was deciding I'm gonna go, I need to go ahead and quit drinking, which I'm uh-huh. five years sober at this point. Yeah. Um, and, and to the point where I, I mean, I checked myself into a, a recovery and blah, 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 it, was, it was a good process, but yeah. this is what I was listening to. Wow. Uh, and I even went back mm. and checked the date and I was like, huh, yeah, that would have been that, that would have been exactly that time. Cause as soon as I heard it, I was like, hmm, this is weird. I haven't thought about yeah. these things in a while. Um, okay. So, so that, was, that was interesting. That was the first listen through was, holy crap, that's where I was when we did that. Yep. Wild. I definitely had a lot of those feelings too. Wild. Not the same feelings, but yeah, I definitely yeah. nostalgic of that era. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that, that in and of itself was pretty, was pretty wild. Um, it is, I, I love that we get the chance to talk about it again. I can tell you that because, yeah. um, because I would, I'll say that uh, mentally at that point in time, I wasn't focused on, 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 on the album as a whole and, and hearing all the reasons why you, why you loved it. So, so I okay. actually found myself excited for the opportunity to go back through this process because it didn't, it didn't resonate with me like what, what it was exactly about this album. I remember little anecdotes and then you, Brian Eno's right. involved and stuff like that. So, <laughs> so to be honest, I'm just excited to, to go through this again um, and, and cool. kind of have this conversation and uh, like anew if you will. That's awesome, man. So that's awesome. Greg. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, honestly, this was my first low rodeo. Okay. And yeah, it was, um, it was interesting. You know, I have a different perspective on it from my first listen to my most recent listen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, we'll talk about the shape of the record, but there's real, there really are like two sides, you know, with like those records in the seventies, they, they made it, it, you have to remember it was two sided. 
Mm-hmm. Literally, two-sided. right? Because yeah. people they were still making um, you know LPs, and I, I guess they weren't making maybe just starting cassettes around then. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But in any case, even with the cassettes, you had side A, side B, and um, in this case, side two or side B is mm-hmm. different from side A, and so it took yeah. me a while to get to side B because, like you know, I, would, I was starting it from the top, and even though it's a short record, after you know, if, depending on what situation I was in, I was like, all right, that's enough for now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or I'll come back, and um, it wasn't until you know my second or third listen that I got deep enough to start being like, "What's going on here?" He hasn't even sang for a while. Well, we'll talk about that, you know, <laughs> later. Yeah. But it's interesting because similar to Thrust, some of this music originated from like he was supposed to be providing a soundtrack for a movie, right? That's right. Yep. Okay, so the man who fell to earth, and then like yep, for, for right. thrust, it was like the spook by the door or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's um, right. In any case, so it's interesting that like, these guys were being approached for scoring or soundtrack work, and then it sort of ended up being these weird records instead that yeah. then influenced generations of people after that, and then people, mm-hmm. you know, including us. Absolutely, because we're Absolutely. bringing it up on our podcast and mm-hmm. you know, deciding like, hey, if we're going to talk about an hour for an hour about something, let's make it this. It's like, why? <laughs> well, here's why, you know. Yeah. Um, so um, that's yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. I hadn't even made that connection, but you're absolutely right. Yeah. So let's let's try to put it, this album in some context here. Um, so early 1970s, obviously Bowie was already a star in the UK, and then with the whole Ziggy Stardust thing, he became an international megastar um, in the US and around the world. Had hits on Ziggy Stardust, the Aladdin Sane album, um, the Young Americans album, right. with uh, fame, Young Americans. Mm-hmm. And that, was, that brought him up until about 74. And in 1974, he decided to move to Los Angeles to kind of pursue this lifelong dream that he always had of living in America. He always wanted to be an American when he was um, growing up in England. And basically spent the years 1974 to 1976 in Los Angeles doing coke and not much else. (laughs) Basically (laughs) subsisting on, you know, famously on a diet of cocaine, milk, and hot peppers. Um, And becoming obsessed with the occult, Aleister Crowley, fascism, his mind went in all these crazy directions. Yeah. Um, around the same time, he also was approached to star in this film called The Man That Fell to Earth, as okay. Greg referenced before. And mm-hmm. that was, it's really a cool movie. I've only seen snippets of it, but uh, his portray he's portraying this alien who comes to Earth and has to, and learns what humanity on, on Earth, the, the trouble that you can get, get into um, living on Earth. Okay. So it's kind of a cool parallel to, to Bowie's life, but basically from 74 to 76 was kind of this lost period, although he did produce this brilliant album, Station to Station, which is kind of his cocaine masterpiece, if you will. Um, But while he was, they were producing this album, The Man Who Fell to Earth, like Greg mentioned, he was approached to say, hey, would you like to write some of the music for this this movie? Mm -hmm. And Bowie was like, oh, hell yeah. So he starts making all these instrumental tracks. And starts to submit some of them, and, and along the way, he finds out that, well, it's not, he's not guaranteed that this music is going to be included in the movie. Oh. It's that he's basically entering this like 
a contest bidding process. Yeah. Or, yeah, it's this contest, basically. He's, there's, there's some other people that are submitting music, and you might be selected. Probably you will, because you're starring in the movie. It would make sense. But, you know, coked out Bowie was like, no! If I'm not guaranteed that this movie music's going to be in the movie, I'm pulling it. So, basically, he had all this instrumental music that he had made for this movie that never saw the light of day. And most of it has still never seen the light of day. But the story is that this, the instrumental music and the tone that he was creating for this, this, mu- this movie set the tone for this next album, which was Low. Okay. Now, 1976, after he's made the movie, he's kind of strung out. He's done a couple tours. He's tired. He's hanging out with Iggy Pop. And they both decide, man, this is crazy. <laughs> We're doing all these drugs. Our careers are, in, you know, are, are all haywire. Iggy had just quit quit the Stooges or had been thrown out of the Stooges or something. And they decided to both go to Berlin to get clean together. <laughs> go to Berlin, get clean together. That's right. What could possibly go wrong, right? <laughs> two pasty, and strung out dudes. Just <laughs> we're going to go to Berlin and we're going to get clean together. Well, it turns out it actually did work out pretty well. They went to Berlin. They hung out for a while there. They started writing songs. Then they found this chateau in, in, in France. Okay. Um, I'm sorry, in Switzerland. It's called the Chateau de Hurreville, um, which turned out to be a very famous recording studio. They had a recording studio there. Mm. And they st- and Bowie said to Iggy, he's like, you need to make a solo album. So in 1976, Bowie helped Iggy produce and write the songs for Iggy's uh, first solo album, The Idiot. And um, the tones that they were getting there are really kind of indicative of the sounds that would come up on this album low. Oh, so really? I wanted to play the opening track from that album, uh, Iggy Pop's The Idiot, called Sister Midnight. This is David Bowie on most of the instruments and, of course, Iggy Pop on the vocals. Check it out. Calling Sister Midnight Have you, guys, have you guys ever checked out that album, yeah. Idiot? It's really cool. It's very no un-Iggy Pop. It sounds very David Bowie. But, yeah, uh, it does. <laughs> really cool album and sets the tone oh, for kind of what's, what was to come. So they create this entire album, and uh, they still have two months left booked at this chateau. At that point, Iggy is like, oh, what that, uh, you know, we kind of reached the end of what we were doing and David was starting to write songs for his own. He got his own musicians in and I could kind of see that I wasn't in the equation anymore. So mm. the tracks for low started recording, um, about seven, uh, September of 76 and, uh, Tony Visconti, who is Bowie's longtime pr- producer was there. And pivotally, um, Bowie also invited his friend, Brian Eno, right. To join him. <clears throat> 
Mm. Now, the initial period of this was basically just David Bowie's backing band from the Station to Station tour, which was Carlos Alomar and Dennis Davis. Carlos Alomar on guitar, Dennis Davis on drums, uh, George Murray on bass, uh, and Ricky Gardner also playing um, guitar. Uh, Basically the same musicians from Station to Station. He brought them over and and started Mm -hmm. kind of making these instrumental tracks. No vocals. That all came later. So I guess... Now that we're into low, let me kind of explain the way this album is structured a little bit. Okay. It's strange. Side A. Mm-hmm. Now, originally, the, the original title for the working title for this album was called Original Music Night and Day. Hmm. So from the beginning, they had this concept that side A was going to be one thing and side B was going to be something else. Mm-hmm. Right. It turns out the way the album was structured is that side A is this set of these weird, fractured, f***ed up pop tunes. Mm-hmm. And then side B are all these instrumental tunes that are reminiscent of the soundtrack of The Man Who Fell to Earth. Okay. So this whole album is, is interesting to me because, again, this is at the kind of the height of Bowie's fame, but he is throwing away, I'm not just just going to write pop songs i'm going to write these fragments of pop songs they're all going to be textural i'm not going to be relying on these big word poems like i was before Mm -hmm. it's a refusal of narrative it's everything it's it's an album here's what it is it's an album of subverting your expectations so whatever you think you knew about a david bowie album or david bowie song he's gonna turn it around and do something different with it okay so With that being said, let's get into the album. It starts off with an instrumental track. (laughs) David Bowie's first instrumental track. It's called The Speed of Life. And it sounds like you're you're walking up to a bar where a band has been playing a song that you barely recognize. And it, it quickly goes away. This is Speed of Life. an opener mm. quite it distinctive quite, opener. quite a distinctive opener it really that was, is that, that was like the whole song too right <laughs> pretty much yeah, yeah. <laughs> two and a half minutes long there's a couple little phrases in there but it you know you keep waiting for a bowie lyric to come in or something to happen but it's just a interesting little instrumental track yeah with a lot of moog synthesizers very uh-huh. late era uh, Moog synthesizers. So, okay, that's a little strange. It's little. not completely un, not completely unheard of to have a album start out with an instrumental track. Um, but okay, second second track. This one's called Breaking Glass. Okay, and check out the drum sound on this one. We're going to talk about the drum sound a lot on this album, but this is a pretty good example. Check this out. Thank you. 
that one do you i do yeah that's a great one yeah there's like is there's like at the beginning it's kind of um until like the the weird sound effects come in um it's almost uh it almost has like a zappa sound to it like uh mm, interesting yeah just uh even his vocals coming in not not not, not like derivative but just mm-hmm. it just it just speaks of like 77 78 like um uh what was one size fits all i think was around that time yeah, yeah, seventy six. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, so something about that sound. It's just such a bizarre, fragmented piece. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like this. Uh, the, the groove is so cool on its own, but then Bowie's lyrics and his delivery are so off kilter. Mm-hmm. Like nothing comes where you would expect it to, mm-hmm. or ends where it should. Mm-hmm. You know, right. don't look. At the carpet, yeah, I right. drew something awful on it. Like it's so <laughs> weird for, for the sure time, is. right? I mean, it, it, it sounds like for a lot any of what, time. It sounds like a lot of what came after. Not a lot, but it sounds something like what came after it, right? Like, I mean, there's like you can hear the Talking Heads were influenced by this. Uh, talking Heads, for sure. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. No doubt. And like some of that, like new wave, like post punk. Uh, Absolutely, it's, it's like the first post-punk album kind of a thing. Joy well, Division, I mean, supposedly. No doubt. I mean, the, not the band, no doubt, but there was mm-hmm. all, almost all of the punk, post-punk or new wave artists would look at this album and say, yeah. "That's that's that's what we were going for." Yeah, that was the first time that we heard that sound. Yeah, such a weird, cool song. But let's talk about the drums for just a second. So, yeah, what's going on there? It, it's it's funny because. People talk a lot about the drums on this, the drum sound of this album, but I think for people of our age who grew up around electronic music and sampled mm-hmm. drums, it doesn't sound that different. Off, yeah. It doesn't sound that different. But in 1977, you never heard drums like that before. Uh-huh. Like this was the first time that people really effed with a drum sound like mm-hmm. this. So. I just want to just listen to the snare drum in particular. I'm going to play the beginning of that clip again. <laughs> yeah. Like a it gate sounds like or a cannon like going that. off. Yeah. So in the 80s, that turned into the gated drum sound that mm-hmm. like Phil Collins and Genesis and all that, you know, the, the sound of the 80s is what that transformed into. But this is not a gated drum sound at all. That is the work of Mr. Tony Visconti, who had found this brand new device out there called the Eventide Harmonizer, the H910. Okay. And in Tony Visconti's words, he said, when he was asked what this device did by David Bowie, he said, it fucks with the fabric of time, David. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> there you go. All right. In 1977, this was a big deal. This was literally the... It was the first device that could actually repitch a sound without altering the speed of it got it which is a really big deal yeah so what they did and the, that's enough in and of itself to be really a really cool device but what eventide did in this device which made this drum sound possible is that it actually has a feedback loop so when the sound comes in you can adjust the amount of 
the affected sound that feeds back into the same circuit. It's almost like a delay. Like, mm -hmm. Greg, you know, on a delay pedal for a guitar, mm -hmm. you can adjust the feedback to adjust the number of repeats that right. the effect has, right? Yes, so exactly. this Eventide Harmonizer has the same thing on it. But now instead of delays, it's repitching a specific number of times. So it'll go in really fast right. speed. So what you're hearing in this drums is the snare drum hits and then it drops down, you know, I don't know, a semitone and then another semitone and does that until you can't hear it anymore and then it stops. Huh. So that's the sound of that drum. It's and it sounds like a cannon going off. Gotcha, because it's almost like the echo of, yeah, it's almost like you're hearing the echo of the frequency drop. Well, it, it, it's like it's like when a police car drives by and it's like... Yeah, the Doppler. The Doppler effect, yes, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So once they found Which this Which is really thing, fast. Yeah. They were just like, this is an awesome drum sound. We're using this on the entire album. And, uh, <laughs> you know, famously, like Tony Visconti was like, all the engineers were like, how did you get this drum sound on this album? And Tony Visconti was like really tight-lipped about it. Sure. This was like his trade secret for, for a long time until the 80s. Um, and he was like, well, how do you think I did it? <laughs> There's all kinds of crazy theories that circulated, but it was the Eventide Harmonizer. Really cool. Wow. So Amazing. It was pretty amazing. Next song. What in the world? I'm not going to play a clip from this one. This is a really weird song. This is the one that starts with like the, uh, the Atari sounding blips mm -hmm. and bloops. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, Another. Go ahead, Greg. I was just going to say, uh, I was like kind of doing some quick notes as I was listening to it. And my note for what in the world was, uh, what was it? Um, fitting title. <laughs> yes. 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 I was like, what in yeah. the world is this? Exactly. <laughs> it's another song fragment so it's uh what in the world is that that song we just listened to uh breaking glass is one minute 52 seconds mm -hmm. what in the world is two minutes and 24 seconds i think there's right. one verse in it it kind of starts to do a chorus and then it just stops it's like we're done right so the, i mean the whole record is 38 minutes yeah yeah <laughs> it flies by <laughs> um, what in the world also has Iggy Pop on backing, backing vocals oh in case you didn't know that yeah. next song after what in the world this is probably my favorite song on the album and okay. definitely the most popular from this album it was the first single to re be released from this album because once once David Bowie was done with this album he presented it to RCA and they were like what the f*** is this how are we going <laughs> to sell this out what are you talking about there's not a single on this didn't he say he got clean <laughs> yeah, right. Right, right, right. <laughs> but they relented the album was a commercial success but i think that was largely due to just the weight of david bowie's personality and popularity yeah but sound and vision this is a great song even though it's just half of a song and a twisted mind of a song at that it's a minute and a half of instrumental and then bowie comes in sings about <clears throat> a verse and a half and like a snippet of a chorus. And just as soon as you start thinking, yeah, I really like this song. This is cool. I can dance. I can, I can groove to this. Then it fades out. It's like, what the hell yeah, is going exactly. on? <laughs> so again, check out Sound and Vision. This is, this is a great track. I get more of the same Eventide 
distorted drums mm -hmm. you'll hear mm -hmm. on this one. Yeah. Let's do Check it. Check it out. So yeah, the happiest sounding mm -hmm. song on the entire album, but mm -hmm. the darkest lyrics about hibernating in your room with the blinds drawn, waiting for the gift of sound and vision to, to come. It's pretty cool. The muse. The muse. Yeah. And I'll tell you that the reason that this album actually came on my radar originally is um, back in 2013, I believe, Beck released a version of this song playing a special performance in Los Angeles. Um, on a soundstage with a 157-piece orchestra doing just this song. So <laughs> I wanted to play a little bit of that. Check this out. Mm -hmm. Well, that was exactly my question. Yeah. Why would a guy take the time and the effort and the money to put together a 157-piece orchestra to play this one song by uh -huh. David Bowie? Right. And that's really what got my mind working about this album. Like, why do people mm -hmm. love that song so much? Mm -hmm. And I still don't have an answer for it, but it is an endlessly intriguing song. And every time I hear it, I hear something different in it. 
it's just an right. amazing, an amazing piece of music. And it's just such a bizarre piece because it's so, it's not a regular pop structure. It's just everything is bass backwards. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it just, it's a fragment. They're all yeah. fragments. Yeah. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so just as soon again. Okay. We got the feel for this. We were four track, four or five tracks in now. It's been eight minutes. He's doing, he's doing song fra- fragments. All right. Cool. I'm down with this. Mm-hmm. Next song is Always Crashing in the Same Car. And that's a full pop song. <laughs> it's a dour, dire pop song about the futility of human life going around in circles and doing the same thing and f***ing up over and over and over again. But it is a regular pop song. Like, okay. Okay. What's next? All right. How about this? Sometimes you get some lonely Sometimes you get nowhere I've lived all over the world I've left every place So that's called "Be My Wife," the most mockworthy right. song on the uh, on the album. <laughs> right, and that's yeah. I mean, but that's that's probably one of my favorites on the album. I could do an entire episode just on this song. There's so much in this song because everything that Bowie is doing is is a put on. It's an act, mm-hmm. right? Well, that's Bowie. Have you guys have you guys ever seen the music video or the promo video for this song? Uh-uh. No. It's hilarious. I mean, it's not hilarious. It's weird. It's, everything is from this album. But it's just him in like this like weird like mime almost makeup standing there against a white backdrop with an electric guitar and he's kind of half playing the electric guitar. Like mm-hmm. it'll close up on his hands like he's playing the solo, but then he'll just stop. And then it'll close up on his face and he just like, I've been everywhere. I've been every like there's no emotion mm-hmm. whatsoever. So it's like it's a it's an actor going through the motions of do it's a rock star going through the motions of doing a music video. He's even burned out act. of the music video he's having to do for the song. Right. <laughs> but it's all an act. Out. Yeah. I mean that's the brilliance of David Bowie is that he's able to put on these characters and in this particular song his character is be my wife if you want, I don't. I don't even know if I want you to be my. Wife. Wasn't his his all. marriage on the rocks? His marriage was you know, on the like, rocks. That's the so thing. it's like you know. Can you imagine like it's like oh you know like still married. So the wife is like, oh 
You heard a song called "Be My Wife," right? <laughs> it's like it doesn't seem like it's directed to me. That's you know? what I'm saying. <laughs> like anybody else? <laughs> what are you trying to say? <laughs> Stay with me, please be yeah. mine. Be. It sounds like somebody really <laughs> wants it, doesn't it? Right. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just a fascinating song, man. Like the more I hear it, the more I want to hear it, and like I think I'm gonna get something out of the song. Like, the, like I think that the lyrics are going somewhere, but they uh-huh. don't go anywhere. Mm-mm. And then I think that the song's going to be longer, but then it just stops. And it, ah, it's just, I, I, it's so, it's like Quicksilver. I can't get my hands on it, man. It's crazy. It's like your relationship to disappointment. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I'm trying to describe the indescribable here, and I'm not trying to, like, Blow smoke up David Bowie's ass. No. I'm just saying this is an album that I've heard probably 30, 40, 50 times in my life, and I still don't understand it. I still don't understand the motivation. I don't understand the structure. And that fascinates me, and I love it. And in this case, it's not off-putting to you. because it's, it's not been, off-putting at there's all. There's also been times when albums that you don't understand kind of frustrate you, but that's not at all the sure. relationship you have with this album. No, no. No, for some reason it keeps calling me back. So awesome. much so that I'm going to, you know, in my lifetime, I guess now I'm going to go on record as having like four hours on the microphone talking about this mm-hmm. album. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, let's move on. Let's move on from Be My Wife. Um, and by the way, Nick, we're going to play that in Sleepers one of these days. Fair enough. Excellent. Next song is A New Career in a New Town. This is the end of Side A. This is the bookend instrumental song. Starts with speed of light. Speed of yeah, speed of light. Speed of life. Speed of yeah. life. Starts with speed of life and ends with a new career in a new town. And Greg, you had a pretty astonishing discovery today that you texted me about that uh, I would like mm. for you to share with us if you'd like. Well, okay. Let's just uh, let's listen to the clips. Uh, well, th- th- let's listen first to the clip from Low. Okay. So this is a new career in a new town. Yep. And and pay attention to the harmonica. You guys hear cool. that harmonica? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Now, I'm excited to hear what what's the deal with this harmonica. Right. So fast forward to Black Star, his final album. The last track. This is I Can't Give Everything Away. See if you recognize the harmonica bit. So I've I've heard a lot that... It jumped out at me. Absolutely. I've heard a lot that Black Star was, you know, kind of his final, here's the last puzzle. 
you guys have to figure out about David Bowie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And like that to me is like, well, that's obviously a nod to a new career in a new town. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, it, but what is it? What, if it is, it's a, it's a great. It's a crazy coincidence if it isn't intentional. <laughs> I got to think it's intentional. Oh, I'm sure it's intentional. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. I mean, no, he, that's my he point, plays though, the harmonica on, on, on a, a new career in a new town. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, he's credited with it. So. Yeah. Right on. Well, there, there it is. And I don't know for sure if he played it on Blackstar. But in any case, it's, this, it's the same producer. I mean, like, you, you know, you figure, okay, yeah, that's, they know what they're doing. Yeah. I think it's pretty clear. Yeah. It's a quote. So, it's like he's quoting himself. That's the end of side A. Now, I, to me, like that album, it, it's not an album in and of itself, but it, it, it kind of stands on its own in its own really weird idiosyncratic way. Mm-hmm. But then you flip the record over, and now we're on to side B. And it opens with a song called Warzawa. Yeah. And mm-hmm. this is where you start to hear more of the Brian Eno influence come in yeah. we've talked about brian, brian Eno a lot on yeah. the on on this podcast he's he's a favorite of mine and uh he had a lot to do with this second side i included that clip earlier on uh, from that funny cartoon about you know talking about david bowie saying oh i should probably put some stuff on there to make sure that people don't know that it just wasn't brian Eno, it just mm-hmm. wasn't me stealing all of his music it's kind of on the second side. It's kind of fifty-fifty. It's like Brian Eno composed most of these songs, and then Brian or uh, David Bowie put his own touches on top. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, so I kind of like to look at the second side as a David Bowie, Brian Eno collaboration. I think is the best way to look at it. This song Warzawa is really cool. It's um, it's reflections on his one trip, Bowie's one trip to to Poland. Uh, this is in the Cold War era. Um, apparently, it was a very dark and snowy day. And uh, this was the way that he felt about Poland at the time. So that's a clip towards the end of Warzawa, and that's where David Bowie had invented his own language and uh, created his own rhyming scheme within that language to sing his own nonsense syllables over. Pretty cool. Right. And he was no longer on cocaine? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, you know, cocaine's a hell of a drug. It takes some time to come down from. Yeah, it's like like knocking the soda machine over. You got to let it (laughs) rock it back and forth a few times. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) Well put. Um, 
that that song is pretty cool. It's very very dramatic, and it's, it's the a first great of, song. Yeah, quite cinematic. You like it? You like it, Nick? I love side B. Would be where I live. Gotcha. Side A is a demo tape. Side B, <laughs> side B is, yeah, that, that that's that. Yeah, I love it. Right on. So it's actually, Nick's tracks. new spot. Mm-hmm. He actually lives in David Bowie's li- low. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> side B. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This entire second side of this album is all instrumental, kind of, you know, not ambient, but you know, instrumental tracks, and they were all composed with this device that uh, Brian Eno came up with, which was, you know, this is in the 70s before you had everything on computer to a grid mm-hmm. where everyone could point to, okay, well, here's measure 76. Right. Qu- so yeah, what they did it. was yeah. they would record a click track with an actual metronome. They would put a microphone up to a metronome and mm-hmm. record it for four minutes or whatever at a specific tempo. And then they would literally go back and record Brian or David counting each one of those metronome clicks. So it would be 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. And that would be the guide, the reference track for all the musicians to play from. So, hey, at hmm. number 47, you're going to come in with that Moog part you came up with. Uh, right? At number 96, that's where those little chimes come in. And at 102, David, that's where you start singing your crazy lyrics you made up mm-hmm. in that invented language. So all of these tracks on the second side, they were all produced with that same technique. Bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's funny because you look back, and again, in today's language, none of these tracks sound bizarre or like... Huh. They sound like something that if you had a little bit too much time in your hand, you could do yourself, right? Right. But in 1977, for David Bowie to be coming out on a major release doing this stuff is very bizarre. Mm-hmm. Very bizarre. Um, second track on side B is called Art Decade. Um, it's a play on the on the term art decayed, like art decaying. You know, it's like a bad pun. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting track, but we got a lot of stuff to go to. I, I want to, the one track I want to play, the, two, the last two tracks on side B is really what I want to focus on. Weeping Wall. This is one of my favorites on here. All of the instruments mm-hmm. on this particular track are played by David Bowie. Again, counted to a click. And he was very, this is clearly influenced by Steve Reich, the minimalist composer. We've talked about him a couple times. And people have accused David Bowie of ripping off Steve Reich in this particular track, which, you know, he does. But in truth, the seminal track that Steve Reich produced, the sound for 18 musicians or music for 18 musicians mm-hmm. or whatever it is, that was actually released the year after it was 78 that that album was released so everyone was like well how did david bowie know about steve reich well it turns out steve reich toured in germany while Hmm. bowie was in berlin and saw a live performance of steve reich doing that technique Uh. and took the idea from that technique from that live show that he saw and turned it into weeping wall which is one of my favorites on this album check this out
So yeah. here. Yeah. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, it is. It starts off as a Steve Reich piece, but it turns into something else. Mm-hmm. It's way more melodic. He's got some other ideas in it. Um, it's really just that repeating percussion track on a vibraphone that he found yeah. in the studio that somebody had left around. Just so found it. <laughs> guys, we made it. It's the last track. Okay. Probably one of the coolest. This yeah. one's called Subterraneans. Yeah. And yes. I want to get, I want to use this track as kind of the springboard for letting you guys in. I've, I've had to rush through this. I want to get through this in an hour. So I want to listen to this you track. You just played the whole thing. <laughs> I could yeah, listen I could. to the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me know if there's any recent musicians that uh, this track reminds you of. All right. Um, any albums that uh, that we all happen to like. Mm. Check this out. Subterraneans. Haunting hmm. closing number to an album that started with these crazy fragmented pop songs. Does that remind uh-huh. you anything? Out of the gate, it really sounds to me like Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd, uh-huh. okay. Oh, yeah, but, Pink Floyd. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, there's, it's, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm positive this album was an influence on Radiohead. Um, that's where my mind goes yeah yeah but but honestly that 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 opening with like the the string sounds just yeah there's something about there's something about that that feels like like early 80s floyd to me yeah you're not wrong with that but the kid a radiohead link Mm -hmm. i think is what really drives me to that like that song in particular sounds so much like tree fingers or any of like just the the tone of that song sounds like Kid A. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To me. The, the timbre. And the more I've thought about it, it's really kind of striking that it's a similar album in a way low is to what Kid A was. You know, we as far as the rejection of, rejection of pop, of rock, rock stardom. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So as Radiohead at the height of their career releases this album that like no one could get their hands on, like, right off the bat like what is this you know it's a tonal album it's you know it's lyrical fragments no one can really hear what's going on Mm -hmm. it's totally different 
they're doing a big step in a different direction that they're not sure that their audience is going to go with, and it ends up being a success and a you know a, a artistic landmark. Yeah. I think there's a lot of similarities between Low and Kid A. Mm-hmm. In that regard. Right. right. Yeah, you mentioned the bad pun earlier on uh, was it Art Decade or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Art Decade. Art Decade. Um, the, the other bad pun, uh, I mean, I think even Bowie himself would say it was kind of, it, it, it went over people's heads, but I guess the album was supposed to be called Low Profile because he's oh, wanted right. to keep like a low profile. And so that's right. why it's as low and then it's his profile. It's a profile shot from the man who fell to earth. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's, so it's supposed to profile. indicate low profile, <laughs> but like nobody got it. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. <laughs> just, I just think that's hilarious because that's all I think every time I see the, the cover. It's like a, like a, like a dad joke. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> you know I mean? Get it? Low profile. Uh, Get it? Uh, 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 because uh, I, have a, I want a low profile. Right, right. Right. That's why I'm putting this record out because if I, I kind think of it's feel brilliant, like it's brilliant, bro. Low profile. So I think it's brilliant. Yeah, it's, I think it's brilliant. Ended up, yeah, ended up just being called Low. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm gonna open it up, up to you guys. It's this album that I, like I've said, I, I can't get my fingers on, but you know, it's been hailed as a, a masterpiece and a classic, mostly from artists like Joy Division, new wave artists, um, who like the the tone and the mm-hmm. insularness of the sound of the record. I love it just because I'm still confused by it and perplexed by it and and why he decided to go in this direction. It's just fascinating. It's just, to me, it opens up the mind of a very creative man at a difficult point in his life. So, interested to know what you guys think. Nick? I mean, well, I I would say, how much do you, how uh, enraptured were you with his previous records prior to, to kind of falling for this? Like, was that part of the mystique? Um, I think that's an interesting question. I think I, I've never been a huge lover of, like, Ziggy Stardust. Okay. And the St- Spiders from Mars album. Like, it's a, great, it's a great album. Don't get me wrong, but I've never been, like, I don't throw it on. Every mm-hmm. once in a while. I love Hunky Dory is a great album. I'd say the other album that I love of his from this period is Station to Station, but I don't love it on the level that I love Low. Okay. Um, I I don't. Mm-hmm. I guess up until low, I hadn't really explored Bowie's albums. This guy. This is much. your hook. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I know Station to Station a little bit more than this. That uh, definitely more than this one. And mm-hmm. um, but that was kind of my reference to low because isn't Station to Station right before? Yeah, right before this. One. Okay. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah, but I, I, I like them both, you know. Bowie is Bowie. And, uh, you know, it, it does, it, it, there's a lot of pieces to the, to, to the Bowie puzzle, yeah. as you said, you know, before. And so it's good to always pick one, uh, pick up one more, kind of get a bigger, a, a clearer idea of what, you know, what he was about did, and what he was doing. <clears throat> did it resonate with either of you on an artistic level? It just sounds like you listened to it and you were like, yeah, that's, that's interesting. I think that I, I think that it has a lot of potential to do that in the way that records, some records, got to get their claws in you. You know, mm-hmm. I definitely think like when, when I listened to this at first, I mean, just the way it's mixed and everything, like everything's so dry, <laughs> and it's like you know, I mean, 
Nick said it before, like demo tape, like it kind of has demo tape vibes mm-hmm. In, mm-hmm. In, in some ways. And that is kind of, to me, sometimes a bit of a turnoff because I'm mm-hmm. like, I could be, I feel like I could be listening to a very, a much, much better representation of David Bowie right now. Right. Mm. Um, however, that's just because I don't know it very well. And I think that, you know, I haven't had any, like, I mean, I, I am having experiences with it now that may, uh, it seems like, you know, like, like Nick said, this is one of those albums that seems to kind of stay with you ab- about the time you first heard it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, when I, when I read like, you know, Robert Smith of the Cure says this is his best, uh, his favorite record, you know, or Trent Reznor says this was like the guiding record for the downward spiral you know right, i'm like really right, right. you know this <laughs> <laughs> i'm like no nah, i don't know about that there is, uh, there is this there is this thing about it though that it, especially somebody like bowie who has this like uh, like this mastery of like i don't know the, the way he had dealt with celebrity and the way he kind of owned it as kind of like it, it was a it was an act it was always an mm-hmm. act everything yep. was like the act there's something unraveling about this yeah, uh, and even the def- even the like the fact that side B, you can call you can call it a collaboration. To me, it sounds like a Brian Eno record that 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 David Bowie because of his fame like and brought him in and and I don't even know the, the origin story about how they got together, but but where he was able to put a lot of his himself onto essentially Brian Eno's side mm-hmm. B, um, that to me is the 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 I find myself and I, I probably listened to this album. I would say, because it's so short, I don't know, 10 or 11, 12 times this past week. Mm-hmm. It was really like, it was, oh yeah, I kind of like this song. I, kinda, I can't wait for Warsaw, Sawzall, however, <laughs> however you pronounce that, uh, for the Brian Eno songs to come up. Because, oh man, that that was, I really, I really enjoy, I enjoy, and I, I enjoy it more than I enjoy Brian Eno's solo stuff. Yeah, to be honest. me too. Um, me too. Uh, so, uh, I, yes, this album definitely grew on me, um, and and it, it it was interesting. I don't know, I don't love New Wave. I don't love what happened, or what this album I think directly led to, like yeah. immediately following. But but then again, you know, Greg just mentioned like Downward Spiral with Trent Reznor and 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 these artists that I I didn't even realize that that was so much attribution to to this album. So. It's had this really interesting effect on 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 some some really interesting artists throughout throughout the past you know I don't know what's it been fifty fifty some years yeah. or, or coming up on fifty years forty well, forty six I think years. that's I think that's part of it for me is like I wanted to understand like when I saw Trent Reznor pointed mm-hmm. to this as an inspiration for the Downward Spiral I'm like well I gotta hear that mm-hmm. and then you hear. <laughs> Like what? What? What are you talking about? That doesn't sound like the downward downward spiral at all. Right. And it doesn't. It doesn't. I I don't know. I think it's more of an artist taking a creative challenge, really testing themselves, like putting something out there that is again subverting expectations at every opportunity. It's not what you expect. No song is what you expect. Yeah. No Mm -hmm. song is where it's supposed to be. Or doing what it's supposed to do. And I love, like, I just love artists that do that. And sometimes this album doesn't hit the mark. 
like that song, um, What in the World? Like, that's one I'm like, okay, I can do without that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but taken as a whole, it's just such a, I just, I have such a respect for Bowie taking this leap off the diving board when he didn't have to do that at all. You know, and at this point, like personally and creatively where he was at his all time low, you know, yeah. to do this, he didn't Aptly have to named. do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he must have had to, because he called this an album. Like it, it, even, even the label was like, this is not a finished product. And he was like, it is, take it, go run. So something compelled him to do this and, and to, to put this together, what essentially is, you know, ideas that, that, that are intentionally meant to subvert like what you would expect at any given point in time in one of his, in a David Bowie song. Mm-hmm. And then a, <laughs> and then a, an experimental like ambient, I don't know, film score on the, on side B that, that he kind of, you know, went and, and played instruments over that that's fascinating. Yeah. Like, like th- yeah. this, this, this guy that, that would have a vision for a project which started with becoming a character uh, and, and embodying that character for the entirety of an album's worth of music to, 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 to then drop this, which is like... To drop any character and just be... There's no character. It's, it's like, the, yeah, the lack of character entirely. Right. And, right. And, and it's almost schizophrenic-sounding pop yeah. structures. Schizophrenic is exactly the word for it, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it... it I think I think for those that have uh, yeah for for those that have that are compelled to, that that find David Bowie as an artist compelling, like this, this is if if nothing else like a fascinating moment in this guy's life where yeah. things were kind of falling apart and 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 he still had this he still had those brilliant sparks of of inspiration artistic inspiration that he had to kind of work with and, and muddle through. Um, and uh, even to the point where the result is, you know, like nothing that you would expect me to do in a song, that, that's, that's what I'm going to do. Um, yeah. So I, yeah I, and I'm thinking that maybe I have like a strange attraction to those kind of albums. Because like my favorite Bruce Springsteen album is Nebraska, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a similar, it's not a similar album in any way. But again, artist at the height of his fame decides... I'm going to do these kind of like loose demo tapes that sound half finished. Yeah. You know, and see what happens. Yeah. You know, I you, love, you, that. You, I you love do, that. You you do enjoy when like when an artist at, at any peak kind of throws it all to the side and goes a different route. Yeah. It does. That does seem to be something that speaks to you. Interesting. Uh, yeah. So with that said, I'm throwing this podcast away. We're doing. No, I'm. Let's just, let's just, just. Mix it in reverse, and we'll release that. Mm. <laughs> Perfect. I'll just put some some mini Moog sounds on well, top. Well, I actually had a question about about yeah. side B because I had just I had read that it was um, inspired by Berlin, like their experience, their time in Berlin. Is yeah, that- so I, right. I didn't get a lot of time to talk about the inspirations, but yeah, David Bowie says over and over again, it's it's kind of trying to reflect the mood of you know cold war era berlin berlin yeah you know you're living in this isolated city in the middle of you know east germany east germany yeah um a divided city you know mm-hmm. it, apparently the the studio that they were recording in once they moved out of the chateau and they went to hansa studio in berlin you could look out the window and see the berlin wall 
Wow. That's also where they recorded the, the album Heroes. So it clearly had an effect, and Bowie has a lot to say about that time and why he moved there. He said that he was living in this apartment that was like this really rundown apartment in like a really beat up, ransacked area of town in, mm-hmm. in Berlin. Mm-hmm. It was above like a store because he wanted to, like he was so sick of living the rock star life in Los Angeles that he wanted to get back to basics. Um, yeah. And really dove into that lifestyle and, you know, created a trilogy of albums around that sound and that mood. Mm-hmm. Starting with the, the mm-hmm. B side of this album, so so none of that's reflected on the A side. Is that is that correct? None of that was meant to convey. I, you know, your guess is as good as mine. Okay, but so he hasn't those, talked about it. The instrumental tracks for those, the A side stuff was all recorded in Switzerland. Like that wasn't okay. in Berlin at all. Mm-hmm. So it's wild. It's very. Greg, cool. any parting thoughts, man? I'm going to keep listening to this. Cool. You know? Cool. I'm, it's got uh, his claws it, into you. That's all I'm asking. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm, it's, I'm, I'm intrigued. And, you know, again, I, I was like, I didn't know quite what to make of it at first. And then I was like, let me see, like, if this has influenced some people that I, or whatever, if, you know, just want to hear some other, some other thoughts on this record. And I was, inter- I was really surprised at what I read. Um, you know, particularly guys, like the goth guys. Yeah, you know, like Robert they Smith love this and, album. And, yeah. and Trent Reznor, like the, the, the kind of goths that I can relate to a little bit, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, um, and uh, but even you know realizing like, oh, this is like a huge uh, album for Joy Division. Okay, like that, it, that, it's it, it's sometimes good for me to have that reference, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. But, uh, and, and, you know, and again, it's fresh and it, it's one of those records that it, its intent was to kind of, maybe not its intent was to confuse, but they knew that it was going to shock the listeners and that it, what they were banking on was that, yeah, it's going to shock our listeners, but in time, they're going to love it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah. uh, and we'll see if, uh, you know, I haven't had enough time yet to know, but I definitely think that. The second side I will come back to. That's easy. That's an e- easy to know that I will come back for sure to that. And then the other, the other stuff is, again, it's part of the Bo- Bowie puzzle. So it's like it's, yeah. it's one of those things where like every piece is like maybe not um, better or worse than the others. Like they're all kind of significant in their own way. You know, mm-hmm. if you really want to be, if you want to look at him and his work as like one cohesive piece, if you will, you know, then, or even like just the Berlin trilogy as one cohesive piece, then like no yeah. particular song is less or more important than the others, right? So, um, right. there's definitely, uh, something to this record though. And, you know, I sometimes I just don't like the way things are mixed when the way things sound when they're mixed in this way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're just so dry and they sort of don't swim together to me. But again, I'm just getting used to it. So, yeah. I may I may come around in that way and appreciate the production more than I do now. So, uh, and it's that's again funny. that's more reserved for side A. The production the production on side B I'm totally down with, and that's definitely more yeah. of the Brian Eno, and I'm very familiar with his stuff and um, not all it's of his funny stuff, though, but definitely like, stuff that sounds like this. You know, admittedly, I've been listening to this album a lot over the last couple of weeks, but the song that I just referenced, I was like, I can't really get down with that too much. Is what in the world, right? But it it just occurred to me that on the way back from 
the playground after dinner with my kids, I was singing the lyrics to What in the World, like humming them on the way. There you back. go. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> it's, it has this way of sticking yeah. with you. So, yeah. You may right. be surprised. It's sticky. It's a in, sticky record. It is. It is. Record. It is. Yeah. Every track is is like, oh yeah, this one. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Also, I don't think we mentioned it, but um, apparently Philip Glass was greatly inspired by this. That's right. This record as That's well. That's right. He even did a his first symphony was called Low Symphony. That's right. Yeah. He yeah. took uh, I think it was Subterraneans and Warzawa, and one unreleased track made up that symphony. Some are. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty wild. Cool. Well, guys, I appreciate uh, you putting in the time. And, yeah. you know, I know it's not an easy listen, but it is kind of a fun listen. And it's, uh, you know, I think it's, I think there's something there. So I appreciate it, guys. No, of definitely course. worth it. Definitely, definitely something we, we, I'm glad we checked it out and we'll continue to check out. Cool. And next week, we're back to 70s funk with Billy right. Cobham. Oh, it's funk. <laughs> it's uh, fusion. It's, it's, uh, it's early prog. It's all, it's everything. Woo! It's, it's everything. Yep, Indeed. total eclipse. All right, well, until then, Mr. Greg, why don't you give us some 2020 funk and tell the fine listeners how to get in touch with us should they choose to do so, please. Mm-mm. You can find us online at youshouldcheckitout.com. Send us an email at yscio_podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on social media, on Facebook, on Instagram. Our Twitter handle is at shouldcheck. You can mm-hmm. listen to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, wherever podcasts are heard. Leave a review, and as always, tell a friend you should check it out. Yes, you should. Yes, you should. All right. (laughs) Thanks, boys. boys. All right, we'll see you back here. Same bad time, same bad channel. Peace. See you. Later. Later.